Hello, and welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I'm your host, Eric Fleming. And I want to go down memory lane today with this episode. So, 2020, right? It's known for some historic things that happened. Uh, Joe Biden became president. Uh, We were in the middle of a major pandemic. Um, And for a moment in time, black people were, for lack of a better word, popular, right? It all started, unfortunately, with the death of George Floyd, which was followed by Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. And others, right, who were murdered, except for Aubrey, who was murdered by an ex-policeman, but most of them were murdered by police officers. And um, we have seen the aftermath of all that in the justice system. We have felt the aftermath of COVID and and now we've seen President Biden trying to push his agenda, right? But I want to go back to the point about Black people being popular. If you remember during that summer, uh, we were, people were in the streets. We were in the street, Black people. Uh, primarily young Black people, but Black people. And there were other people of color and there were white people involved in the protest, but it was primarily young black men and women who took to the streets and affirmatively declared, affirmatively declared that black lives mattered. This movement had been around for a while, of course, um, but everything came to a head in 2020. And some things happened. States changed, you know, got rid of their state flag, for example, in Mississippi, and monuments were coming down, and uh, that glorified the Confederacy, all those things. But one of the unique things that was happening for people that you know, watch television or, uh, you know, got their news through the internet or what have you, they were seeing Fortune 500 companies, right, or major players in industry focusing their efforts on African-Americans primarily their advertising. And everybody was putting up ads and statements showing their support for the black community in America, showing that they were good allies, right? And that um, You know, that we, um, well, they were, they were in solidarity with what we were trying to do. Um, They were making statements about justice and they were making statements about diversity and talking about their efforts. Money was given to organizations and schools, um, especially HBCUs to show their commitment, right? And it was, on the surface, it was kind of a cool thing, right? Because 
there was some glimmer, just like when Obama got elected in 08, there was a glimmer, right? That the message was finally being heard, that people were lining up uh, to support not only our cause, but really our existence, right? Uh, how we are being viewed in American society and how really that view needed to change because it needed to be valued more, right? And those of us who have lived long enough to see ebb and flows in black achievement were a little skeptical because if you understand the history of this country, you understand the dynamics that have happened over the last 60 years, you've kind of seen this movie before. I think it was more intense because you have the presence of social media, you have the presence of uh, podcasts, you have the presence of 24-hour news. So there are more opportunities for corporate America to show their solidarity, uh, along with traditional media, you know, television, uh, radio, newspapers, right? And it, and it kind of felt being optimistic about it, it kind of felt like, well, maybe we're turning the corner because this is a generational shift, right? People my age or younger are starting to get into positions of influence and really kind of shape the dynamics about what's happening. So even to the point where a day that had been celebrated in the black community for years is finally recognized as a national holiday, Juneteenth. So we're seeing in 2021, the culmination of a lot of stuff that kicked off in 2020 to an extent Right. And so, you know, I mean, it was like Major League Baseball, National Football League, NASCAR. I mean, there actually was a car in NASCAR that had Black Lives Matter on it. Right. Of course, it was driven by a black driver, but nonetheless, it was the NASCAR. Route. So it seemed like everybody, and of course, the NBA, WNBA, it, but it seemed like everybody was getting on board and getting active. And they were definitely talking the talk, right? And it seemed like, and and a lot of that contributed to uh, Joe Biden winning and him picking an African-American woman to be his running mate and eventually becoming the vice president of the United States. Kamala Harris. So it looked as though that you now have a foot in the door and we could pretty much push it, kick it open from this point forward. And, uh, Yeah. <laughs> so about that foot in the door thing. So, yeah, again, we had a moment. And now the per, the expected backlash has kicked in. And we are still stuck on not updating the Voting Rights Act 
not creating a new act that would not only guarantee access to voting, but widen the gap, even to the point of saying, let's create another holiday for election day. Right. But all that legislation has been stalled, right? Legislation that would have been included in an infrastructure bill that would have helped create jobs and rebuild the nation or uh, repair the nation for lack of a better term, because of the damage that's been done to our infrastructure over the years. Um, Recommitment, right? There were other things in that infrastructure bill that dealt with the infrastructure of human beings um, that would have gone a long way in repairing damages in our community, the black community. But it would have benefited everybody. So that legislation has been stalled. Um, We are seeing political people gaslighting to stir up a segment of the white population a considerable segment, I should say, to go against any progress, to go against this Black Lives Matter movement, this woke movement, right? So how many of you ever thought that the word woke would be bad, the word liberal would be bad? Um, You know, those are things that we aspire to be. We aspire to be free thinkers, right? That's pretty much liberal thought. You know, be creative to explore new options, right? Within confines and constructs. You want to be aware. And the only way you can be aware is that you have to be awakened, right? You have to be woke. Um, but part of the backlash is been pushing against those kind of terms. Um, Even to the point now where uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones wrote a piece, historical piece, the 1619 Project. She won a Pulitzer Prize for it. And she had been offered tenure at a PWI, a predominantly white institution, uh, University of North Carolina. And it got denied because of the backlash that was created, right? To repel against all of these companies and everybody trying to show solidarity to black people. Of course, they reconsidered their position and then she reconsidered accepting it (laughs) and she went to an HBCU to teach so because of that backlash all that progress all that commitment all that solidarity that's out there has been stymied Right. It's been. um, It's been slowed considerably. Um, And you don't hear as much. You still see the sports teams, you know, sports leagues pushing it. Even to the point where. People in the black community leaders in the black community thought leaders are saying you know that's nice but that's not what we asked for you know slogan in the end of the end zone saying in in racism is not exactly what 
we want it. We appreciate that. We appreciate the fact that y'all sing, lift every voice and sing at the beginning of the Super Bowl and all that, but that ain't really what we wanted. We appreciate the gesture, but that ain't, that ain't really what we wanted. Um, so we we are seeing the force. And this is the reason why I made the contention in earlier podcasts about the status of America as a racist nation, because if America wasn't a racist nation, those voices wouldn't have any sway, right? They wouldn't have any leverage. They wouldn't have any ability to slow down progress once it starts, right? And it's it's disappointing, but it's, in my view, it was expected because history has shown that's what happens. You know, uh, sometimes it takes a few months, sometimes it takes a decade, but it eventually happens, right? Where gains that African-Americans have made uh, slowly get either whittled away or the progress that they're making has been just stopped. And we have throughout time figured out ways to restart it. It's just like a car, right? America is like a car that we really, really love. And it's a car that we have a lot of good memories with, um, you know, great trips and, you know, people and conversations and, uh, you know, just just the, the beauty of having that special car, car that means so much to us. But that car breaks down a lot. And you have to put a lot of effort and time into maintaining it, to fix it up, to get it running not quite the way it was in the showroom, but, you know, at least so you can continue this journey, that you can continue that magical ride. And, you know, a lot of times you got to jumpstart that car. The car, the battery dies out. You just, you know, you ride around on it and, and one day your car doesn't crank up and you've got to figure out a way to get it started, Right. That's kind of the way I look at our relationship, you know, black people in America with the country that we were born in. And most of us show true patriotism to her and loyalty to her. Right? Because compared to other countries, as I kind of highlighted in a previous podcast, those opportunities are not as available in other countries as they are here. Being poor in America is not the same as being poor in Malawi, right? But using just our standard of living, just where we are, you know, people are struggling to make it. And anytime there's been any effort or empathy shown to, to deal with that, something is always constructed to restrict that. Uh, a policy, a certain person getting elected, um, a Supreme Court decision, something happens to repel anything that shows a sign of us reaching that ultimate goal of being a more perfect union. And it's, it's, it's very frustrating, right? It's frustrating with that car, right? Cause 
usually when that car breaks down is at the most inopportune time, right? You're trying to get to a meeting, you're trying to plan a trip or, you know, whatever. And then something happens. You just need to go to the store. You know, but because we love it and because we care about it and we have an affinity towards it, we do what we can to fix it, right? And that's the way we've been in this country. African-Americans have done their very best, not only to survive, but to thrive in this country. And the way that we've managed to have any semblance of thriving is through protest and through direct action uh, in the courts, in the streets, whatever. Um, There have been some more militaristic attempts, uh, especially early on in the formation of the nation. And and part of our rhetoric, right? Part of our diaspora, if you will, across this nation has been revolutionary, right? And you can't get mad. I mean, you can get mad, but you're really not justified to get mad at a people who get angry enough where they're entertaining the thought of revolution. When you keep a person down so long, and like I said, we talked about this in the previous podcast, you know, a person that has this desire to be free, that natural human instinct to be independent. And everywhere you go, they seem to be castigated get that word out, castigated or uh, denied opportunities, some point they're going to buck. At some point, they're going to push back. And throughout history, vended civil rights movement, classic example of that, right? What you saw in the streets in 2020 and even 2014, right? It's just when it gets to a breaking point, you know, a friend of mine always used to say that the right amount of pressure can bust the pipe, right? And so there was an effort, I think, more so to cool the temperature down than it was to actually make significant progress. And that's what it's, that's what all this stuff is boiling down to. It looks like all of those platitudes and statements and expressions of goodwill strategically was to make sure that they continue, these companies continue to keep their black market or gain a black market even and to cool the temperature down. And and cooling the temperature down is not necessarily a bad thing, right? You want to calm things down before you can start getting to solutions. The problem is If there are solutions being drawn up, it sure is taking a long time to do it. And the history of America tells us that when we put our mind to something, we can do it. When you go back to World War II, the main reason why we didn't want to get into it was because we were not prepared, right? We weren't prepared to go across oceans to fight battles. But when the battle came home, when it hit Hawaii, which wasn't even a state then, right? But it was American territory. It was, we had military bases there. So when we were attacked as a nation, we responded. 
many people consider it the greatest wartime production in history. What Hitler did over decades, the United States did in a span of five years and won. Yeah, or helped win the war against Germany and against Japan. The United States fought two nations and be both of them with the help of allies, of course. But that American ingenuity and kicked in. And the question I always ask is, why doesn't that ingenuity kick in when it comes to policy? Or if that ingenuity kicks in, how come the commitment doesn't stay? Right? So when we get to the other side, I'm going to throw out a question. Well, I'm going to throw out a statement, which basically we need to answer, right? We need to show. So let me catch y'all on the other side. so we're back. So in one of my social media platforms, someone posted this. What you allow is what will continue, right? What you allow is what will continue. So I throw that statement out, which leads to a question. How much are we going to continue to allow when it comes to and when it comes to African-Americans, when it comes to not seeing these commitments through, right? So we talked about in the last segment about all these promises and all these acts of solidarity that were made by corporate America and others um, to reach out to the black community, even to the point where I contend that it was more intended to cool the situation down rather than fulfill the commitment toward progress. Right. And it is it has always been historically what has happened with us. We have a moment and then we have a setback. Right. And so for generations of African-Americans. We've we've done this dance. We've played this game. And we have made a commitment in a sense to push through. You know, it's like and almost to the point like like I said, with people, cynical people like me, uh, that you expect once we make a move forward that we're going to get this backlash and a lot of stuff that we have gained gets taken away. You know, the progressive policies of the Lyndon Baines Johnson era have been challenged ever since they've been signed. Right? In the law. And there's always been some creative kind of way to push back against it. Even some policies that those new laws didn't necessarily um, 
repeal, right? You know, and it's just been time after time after time after time that we have seen um, this this disappointment, right? And like I said, this is nothing new, but the challenge becomes for us, how long are we going to allow this cycle to continue? How long are we going to get some progress, make some steps forward, and then re, you know, get pushed back or be forced to retreat? Right? So Dr. King, who I noticed a lot of conservatives are trying to quote all of a sudden. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but conveniently um, to push back against the critical race theory, right? And so for those who have heard all that and actually may have some quote unquote concerns about this, critical race theory is really legalistic stuff. It's really designed to help lawyers and and CEOs of companies and all that stuff figure out a way to dissect how systematic institutional oppression works, right? And how to fix that or how to counter it. And it's not meant for fifth graders, right? It's not meant for elementary school kids. It's meant for people really pursuing PhDs or LLMs or whatever uh, to position themselves in leadership to make the changes that are needed to push us past a moment of progress into a perpetual motion of progress, right? So when these conservatives throw out this boogeyman and say, well, it's all about teaching young white kids to feel guilty <laughs> and that white kids are being devalued by that. I mean, that's like the ultimate form of gaslighting ever, right? We're using the kids. I want my kids' self-esteem to be taken away. And, you know, and that gets into a whole other discussion about participation trophies instead of just trophies for the people who win, right? You know, taking dodgeball out of gym class because the kids who are not as athletic get beat all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a mindset, but it's, 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 if you dig into it, right, it's a privileged mindset. And not all of us are going to be great at everything. Not all of us are going to be great at one thing. Some of us are going to be really, really good. But sports is a reminder that there are people who are really, really phenomenal at certain things. And they're rewarded by giving giving them a career to play a game, right? Use a skill set, right? We're reminded this is a medical profession. There's a lot of doctors out there, but there's only so many neurosurgeons, right? So society has always been that people with unique gifts elevate. People with unique skill sets elevate. And it's not their fault that they've been given those gifts. It's their fault if they don't use them, right? And if society rewards that, great. And society should. 
And in a capitalistic society, it should be rewarded financially. Nobody argues that, or nobody should, right? But when you try to undercut all that by one, denying people certain gifts, opportunities to explore them because of how they look or what side of the tracks they grew up on. A system has to be in place to make that happen because naturally, again, great people rise. Not only to the occasion, but through society. And a lot of people don't get recognized for their greatness, but they're there, right? And then, but if you have a society that tries to taper down a group of people in which those exceptional people dwell, or some of them anyway, then there's a problem. And I think for too long, we have kind of just put our heads down and put our shoulder to the grindstone, if you will, and just try to move forward. And when we see progress, we celebrate it, we embrace it, but we just, we don't really react vociferously to when it gets taken away from us until it gets to the point of being unbearable, right? And it doesn't seem like there's any forward steps to make sure that we get to this level and stay on it, right? It's almost like we accept the mindset that we reached the top of the mountain, so now we got to come down when there's a whole sky above us and there's a whole universe above that, right? That we accept the fact that we've got to come down. We can't stay at this high level, especially in society. It's like when we reach a certain pinnacle of progress, we feel that, and maybe not consciously, maybe you don't verbalize that, but how we just kind of expect and like I said, that cynical thing, we just kind of expect, okay. And then we look at people who challenge that and say, well, okay, that's not enough. We look at them as being greedy or not being appreciative or uh, showing lack of gratitude, I guess, for what was gained. But actually, to be honest, that's kind of the mindset of where we all need to be. That, yeah, it's nice that you gave us a holiday, but for the days that we work, we would like to get paid. Like we work the same job as other folk. You know, it's nice that, okay, that there are laws in place where they can't discriminate against what house we buy, but We'd like to be in a system where we can afford that house that we want to buy, right? So I just want to read this. Dr. King, I was getting ready to say this. Dr. King addressed this issue. In 63, he was responding. He had written this letter while he was in jail in Birmingham, uh, which in the young folks will say now went viral, right? Um, that talked about, you know, it was kind of an executive summary about why black people are fighting and why we, and he was really addressing leaders of the church, especially the white leaders. And it was like, why haven't you come to join us in this fight? And so from that letter, he wrote a book which expounded on one of the criticisms that he was getting, like, why can't 
you just wait on things that happen. Why do you have to push the envelope now? Why, why the protests? Why using the children to march in Birmingham? All this stuff, right? And so he basically built off of that letter and wrote this book, Why We Can't Wait, to address that question. And one of the things that he said, and it was a charge for not only Black Americans, but really Americans as a whole. But I'm I'm putting it in the context of just us, right? And he said, we need a powerful sense of determination to banish the ugly blemish of racism scarring the image of America. We can, of course, try to temporize, negotiate small and adequate changes, and prolong the timetable of freedom in the hope that the narcotics of delay will dull the pain of progress. We can try, but we shall certainly fail. The shape of the world will not permit us the luxury of gradualism and procrastination. Not only is it immoral, it will not work. It will not work because it retards the progress not only of the Negro, but the nation as a whole. Right? So what we saw last year with corporate America and all these folks pushing this uh, solidarity, if you will, this, this acknowledgement of black lives, this reaching out. Um, as I said, it was a cool down. It was thing. It was, and so in his, in his quote, he's basically comparing it to the narcotics of delay, right? That, you know, if we placate, if we extend a kind courtesy, right? An acknowledgement that things will simmer down and everything will go back to normal, right? But we, collectively, there have been some people who have been trying to do it. Uh, one lady in particular, she's a professor in Ohio State, kind of blasted on Twitter about it. It's like, where is the follow-up, right? So you said all these things and you committed to doing certain things, but where is that? There was some article a month or so ago that was like trying to figure out where's this money, right? There was a lot of money that was promised. Has it been spent? Uh, have the checks been written? Right. And in a large part, it has not. And so part of the blame falls on the people who made those promises, who made those commitments, who extended that hand to placate us. Right. But the burden falls on us, too, to hold them accountable for that. Right. And we tend to be trusting as a community in the sense that, well, if they say they're going to do it in light of everything that's happened, surely they're going to do it, right? But then the, 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 the few words that follow that is at some point, <laughs> right? And so the challenge for us is to change at some point to now, right? That we have to mobilize and strategize enough where saying nice things is not enough. Talking the talk is not enough. 
You have to walk the walk. You have to see results. At some point, somebody is going to ask the question. And right now, there are people that have reached at some point in, in that sense. And they're asking questions like the old lady in the uh, Wendy's commercial, where's the beef, right? Where is the commitment? What have you shown, right? So the National Football League, for example, has done X, Y, and Z things with money, as well as the lift every voice you're singing national, you know, at the pregame, right? They've done some things. And fortunately, the people who work in the National Football League, primarily the people who make the league, the players, have been doing their very best to hold the National Football League accountable, right? But what are we doing collectively, right? Where are political leaders in this accountability thing? You know, a lot of times our political leaders get confined to the office that they hold and forget about the status that they have, right? Because the people in your district or in your county or whatever your geopolitical division is, you know, have given you an opportunity to lead, right? But it is on you to fully maximize that gift that you were given, right? You have an obligation to use your status and to use your bully pulpit to ask, where's the beef? Where is the commitment, right? It's one thing for people out in the street to ask the question, right? But in, in, in America, we have a unique situation where the people in the street get to elect people to voice their concerns in certain aspects of government, right? Whether it's the state legislature, whether it's the county commission, city council, the White House, right? You are given an incredible amount of responsibility with that, not just to take care of the basic needs, but to address the major concerns. And it always has to be a symbiotic relationship between elected leadership and the grassroots community. It has to be there all the time. You know, there was an NAACP president that said, you know, every black elected official should be a member of our organization, not just to get elected, but to continue to do the work. Right. Because it's one thing to be a member of the organization and be part of the organization as they push for things. But now that you've been given this exalted position. Right. You should be able to parlay that power that you have, even if it's just a modicum of power. Right. Is that power that you have. To carry out the overall mission so that the burden is not just on the people in the street. Now the people in the street have more freedom because they're not confined by parliamentary procedure. They're not confined by meeting times, right? Or legislative deadlines. But neither are you <laughs> as an elected official. You have an opportunity, you have a voice. You have been given this unique position and you get nice stationery that you can write letters. And a lot of these leaders in these major cities where these major corporations hang out at, right? Have some sway. It's more than just a relationship where you might get a contribution for your campaign from these companies, right? You've become a stakeholder without even having to buy stock because the people put you in that position to protect them or to help build a relationship even with those companies. When you see that a company is doing unfair, it doesn't matter if they gave you a $2,500 check. 
you got elected. And so now your job is to hold those people that wrote you that check accountable. Right? You can't just put the burden on the young men and women hitting the street. Right? You, the men and women who have been elected to these positions, who are mayors and city council people and state legislators and county commissioners or supervisors or whatever your title is. Doesn't matter if you're a constable. Doesn't matter if you're the sheriff. You have a position to express an opinion, right? Even if you just want to confine it within the delegation, the, 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 the relegation of your duties, you have that voice. And even more so, you have to go back to the very people that elected you and ask them to continue to raise hell. Encourage them, enlighten them to. Because the only way we can go from the mountain upward, instead of following the natural trajectory of going down, trajectory of going down, is we gotta push it. We gotta figure out a way to lift off from that mountain and go toward the sky. And we gotta figure out a way to propel ourselves from the sky into the universe, right? And the only way we can do that is that we have to be vigilant and vocal and strategic. It is, it is long overdue for us to stop allowing the cycle to dictate to us how it's gonna go, right? We have the ability, we have the power, and we have the mindset, or we should have the mindset to keep the progress going and not let people off of the hook. We can't. Those of us who have been fortunate enough to have children, we owe that to them. Those of us who have not been fortunate enough to have children, we owe it to the children that are out there to continue to build on progress instead of letting it slip away until next time.